Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs. We're your hosts from the Draft Network. Chris Schubert is here producing also from the Draft Network. And this NFL draft is getting closer and closer and closer. And it's been really exciting to go through this process. Kyle, we've been working on this draft class since last May. And it's finally coming full circle, not only from the perspective of evaluating these prospects and understanding how we feel about them, but also as the NFL continues to make moves, trades, signing players going crazy, the landscape of team needs is becoming more and more clear, and it's time to really have some in-depth conversations about what we could see unfold at the end of next month. Yeah, it's, it's chaos season, right? You're seeing a complete upheaval of everything we know, thought we knew from a team's perspective, but you're getting a lot of confirmation of what you thought you knew from a prospect perspective. So that's kind of the fun fun um, intersection of, of the two subsections of the draft in that you form all these opinions throughout the course of the season and that now you've collected all the information and it is time to kind of stake your flag in the ground and, and make a final decision and opinion on players. And as you're doing that, everything you thought you knew is is evolving from an NFL side of things. And that that makes for a lot of these macro conversations, like the ones we're going to have today as far as the 2022 NFL draft and the teams uh, and players and where they may end up reaping the benefits when they get drafted and who calls their name. And it's going to be fun. And I'm looking forward to today's conversation quite a bit. Last year, the 2021 NFL draft, the first edge defender off the board was Jalen Phillips at 18, if I'm not mistaken. That's going to be different this year. Yeah, we're this not going class, to wait that long this year. No, we might not have to wait more than a pick or two. We could see three or four in the top 10. And so this is a loaded edge class. And as we consider the things that are coming into focus, one thing that we knew back in May when we started working on these players is that we had a deep and talented group of edge rushers to evaluate. Now, the thing that's been really fun is sorting out the order, and that's where things have really taken shape over the last 10 months or so. The order of the edge class might have been a little bit different than we thought coming in. All right, Kyle, let's dig into these prospects. Let's dig into these edge defenders where we could see, I don't know, let's start there. How many do you think go in the top 10, Kyle? If you had to put the over-under, if you had to set the over-under, what are you putting it at? Three and a half, and I'm probably taking the over. I mean, because four are going to go it, right. It might, well, it might be four and a half. It might be. I mean, listen, you've got Aiden Hutchinson, who's the presumed number one overall pick, right? Trayvon Walker from University of Georgia feels like a top ten lock right now with how well he's done with the entire pre-draft process to this point. Despite the questions with Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Still think he's probably going to go top 10, although there's the, the national media has, has brought up some questions with him, and there's nothing from our side of things that, that we've had that would give us any conviction that he's still not one of the 10 prospects in this year's class. And you have Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, who feels like back half of the top 10 is a realistic landing spot. 
And if anybody else can crash the party, oh, it could have been David Ajabo before he had the Achilles injury, and it's probably not going to be him now, but you never know. And, and I think four's a lock. So if you ask me to set the over-under, then I'm probably going to have to set it at four and a half just to make a compelling argument because I, I would smash the over on three and a half. Well, one guy we expect to go very early is Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. And Kyle, he's my number one player in this class. I think he is such a technician, both against the run and pass rushing, that I really like what this guy offers. And I like his temperament. His motor is off the charts. He's powerful. He has a lot of different ways that he can get home. I love the rush variety. It's not just a one-trick pony. He has a lot in his bag that allows him to beat blocks, and I love his ability to process and read the run and and be where he's supposed to be. I think he is a really, really high-floor and high-ceiling prospect that when you consider not just the skill set, because you want a very, very talented player that you pick high in the draft, but it's also you're drafting a person and a human being, somebody that's going to be one of the most influential players in your locker room and somebody that you're going to put in front of your fan base and say, hey, this is going to be a difference maker for our organization for a long time. You have to feel really good about the entire package of Aiden Hutchinson and what he brings. And so if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I've done a lot right now to solidify my offensive line, and I've done enough so much so that I feel like I can get away from the offense in general, that I feel like I have enough to build around Trevor Lawrence, and I want to make a move on defense I feel good about the person, the player, and the value that exists with Aiden Hutchinson at the top of the draft. Yeah, um, and, and we're expecting the floor for him to be three to Houston. I think so. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're, we're talking big picture standpoint, this as close to a lock as you can generally get. Um, and I think you nailed Aiden and, mm-hmm. and who he is as a player quite a bit um but Trayvon Walker is gonna make a really interesting argument uh as far as his height weight speed his explosiveness the projection I know one of the arguments of Aiden Hutchinson is he is who he is right there there's the ceiling is the floor is kind of the those who are skeptical of Aiden Hutchinson will point to that whereas Trayvon Walker I don't think there's any question this is a guy who we have not seen his best football yet or what he's his potential is to provide his best football yet because he was originally in the two nineties and then cut to the two seventies to play for Georgia. And he's incredibly built for the edge position and the length that he has and played in a rotational role and they moved him around. So you feel as though there's growth opportunities at just about every different alignment that you could put this guy in. And Oh, by the way, he absolutely positively blew the combine testing out of the water to reaffirm that he is a freakish athlete in the 270 pounds. So he's got prototypical everything. It's the argument of ceiling versus floor. And I think that's where Trayvon Walker is going to gather a lot of fans uh, come the end of April. Kyle, the big argument that I see from people against Trayvon Walker, it's it's the production, right? People go back to production. They say, if I'm going to pick a guy high in the draft, I need more production than nine and a half sacks scattered across three seasons. Now, six of them came in 2021, the year where Georgia won the national championship. And so I'm interested in your thoughts on that layer to the evaluation. But 
Let me say this as it relates to the production with, with Trayvon Walker. Remember this defense, right? This was one of the most historically great defenses ever in college football. And when you're great on defense, that means you're not playing a whole lot of snaps, right? A lot of three and outs. And there's not yeah. that many plays to be made because yeah. you're not on the field that much. And you're on a front seven that has how many future NFL Killers. starters? Killers all over the place. I mean, I mean, honestly, like eight or nine legitimate NFL starters in that front seven, whether they're going to get drafted this year or next. And so six sacks is a pretty good amount when you consider how good that defense was and how many other good players there was in that front seven. It's like, yeah, congratulations. You had five opportunities in the first half on a third and 12. Like there were games <laughs> that, that happened. Yeah. There were games where, where that that's all you got in the first half of a football game. They were that dominant for stretches of this, of the season. So I think it's a valid point. Uh, but I certainly think, you know, Trayvon Walker, if you're looking for somebody you feel like is, is going to guarantee himself a certain role and a certain amount of snaps that he can play, I feel like Aiden Hutchinson has the advantage, and I would probably say Jermaine Johnson has the advantage over Trayvon Walker in, in that capacity too. I don't know if you would agree with that or not as well. I think that's reasonable. I do. What What's interesting do you, do about you talk, this – Do you want to talk a little bit about Jermaine? Obviously, because yeah. you, oh, you scouted him yeah. at, at Florida State and you know how he fits in this conversation and specifically that that parallel that we just drew there. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson, Edge, Florida State. Um, watch him over the summer getting ready for the season, going back to his time at Georgia. Just another guy that was at Georgia in that front seven. Just amazing the talent they had. And, and he didn't play a ton of snaps. I think he had like 97 rush snaps at Georgia last year, and he still had six sacks, man. This guy was getting after it, producing. You could see the ability. He transfers, transfers over to Florida State. And he is the focal point of that defense. And he shows up and he shows out. And it's not just his ability to rush the passer, where he's got a lot of variety in his rush. Good, He's a smooth rusher, um, knows how to get around corners, timing, vision, it's all there. But it's also the run defense, where this guy is a phenomenal run defender. And he's just a do-everything player that I think has some scheme versatility in the way that he plays the game. And so um, maybe he's not the physical freak that you get in a Trayvon Walker, but I don't think you have, I think you have just different questions about the two players with, with Jermaine. You know, he's a guy that doesn't have that same ceiling, but he's coming in right now. And I think he's ready to make an impact maybe at a higher level than Trayvon Walker. When we're considering this kind of, top of the edge class. We mentioned David Ajabo and obviously the injury that he suffered and, and how that ultimately impacts his draft stock. You have to imagine probably we'll push him down out of the first round, but you also have George Karloftis from Purdue, who's a power rusher uh, and does really well as far as reducing angles for himself. Uh, probably somebody who's going to go between, you let me know if you think this is an accurate uh, forecast for him, between 16 and 30. The back half of the first round. Yeah, it's I, I would guess for Karloftis. Uh, any of the names you see crashing this party for top 32 pass rushers? Boye Mafe from Minnesota. Yeah, I think I think it's oh. a, a very real thing. That that guy's you talk about freak. Uh, he he is that man. Size, explosiveness, length, 
was awesome at the Senior Bowl. And there were some games at Minnesota that I watched where I thought he was really able to dictate things up front. So Boye Mafia guy that I think can absolutely crash this party. And I mean, we could be talking about six, seven first round picks coming from the edge class alone. That I mean, that the last year they filled up the back of the first round, the back half of the first round entirely. I think you could see a really big distribution of these players from the top of the draft all the way down to pick 32 with as many as six or seven different edge rushers coming off the board in that first round range. You know, Joe, the edge group isn't the only interesting landscape as far as the top of the draft goes and specifically in the first round. And I look at the cornerback group that exists and you obviously have Derek Stingley Jr. of LSU. You have Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. You have uh, Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. You have Trent McDuffie from Washington, potentially Kyler Gordon from Washington. You have Roger McCreary from Auburn. Uh, Tariq Woolen from UTSA, who is an absolute height, weight, speed freak. We had a chance to talk to here on uh, Draft Dudes and, and had an excellent discussion with him as well as Roger McCreary. Um, and each one of these guys kind of profiles differently as far as what the in-season perception was of them versus now that we have the information. And uh, it appears as though there's a tier at the top, right? You've, you've got your top three that are probably – going to come off in the order of some combination of Gardner, Stingley, and Booth at this point. Let's kind of filter through those guys, and then we could kind of trickle down guys who might continue to crash the corner party in the first. Well, I think you start the conversation with Sauce Gardner. Six, two and three quarters, 190 pounds, 33 and a half inch arms, four, four, 40 yard dash, came to Cincinnati, 160 pounds, you know, wasn't getting the offers from the Big Ten schools in the Midwest there. He goes to Cincinnati, becomes a an immediate starter as a true freshman, and just continues to develop and get better and better every single season. And, I mean, you love him in zone coverage. You like him in press up at the line of scrimmage. He tackles. He's got length. He's got ball skills. I mean, this is the guy that I think checks the most boxes and has the most – consistent resume of production in their college career. I think that is where he can really hang his hat. So he's got size, athleticism, and consistent production that I think is unmatched by any other corner in this class. Now, if you're a team that's going to run a lot of off-man coverage, you know I don't know that this is going to be a player that is, is a great fit for you, although I think he's got great speed and good recovery speed. But if you want to play zone, you want to play some press, this guy right here, I think, is very much the package you're looking for. Well, and I think the most important thing about Sauce Gardner's resume, Joe, is the games that we've had a chance to see him play in. Because obviously the level of competition at Cincinnati is going to be a big question mark, but this is a Cincinnati team who played Georgia. They played Notre Dame. They played Alabama. So let's not sit here and act like we haven't seen Ahmad Gardner play on the biggest of stages and act like he didn't handle those opportunities mm. exactly how you would hope to see a top of the first round corner respond. 
Yeah, there's no question. They played Boston College. They played UCLA. I mean, he was tested, and he delivered every opportunity. And he's got that length, man, 33-and-a-half-inch arms. You know, that's that moves the needle, man. And especially when, you know, we'll get to some of these other names, but the other contenders here, they, they don't come close to that. And you have some guys in, in Trent McDuffie uh, and Roger McCreary who I think have first-round tape, but they're sub-30-inch arms. Shh, shh, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. All right, I won't spoil it. That's a good you, conversation. You want, yeah. Let's uh let's let's move on to the the next corner here, Kyle. Andrew Booth out of Clemson. I right, see you the chose the next corner was Andrew Booth, huh? You didn't think the next sure. corner was Derek Stingley Jr. You thought the next corner was Andrew Booth. Well, for the sake of the conversation, my CB1 is actually Stingley. So, if that oh, is any indicator. Interesting. Yeah. My CB1 is Sauce Gardner. For the sake of the conversation, shoot! I think I've got shoe him all radio scored back there like in the, the producer studio, pumping his fist in the air wildly. I know he's a big pro Sauce Gardner guy, um, but let, yeah, let's let's talk Andrew Booth because he's my CB two as well. I think he's both of our CB twos. Yeah. Um. So that's that's the one area in these top three guys that we we do agree. Um. His movement skills are phenomenal. Uh, you, you had mentioned the length that exists with Sauce Gardner um, and the concern with that length of, of playing in off coverage. I don't think there's a coverage concept or, or, or back-end shell that you couldn't put Andrew Booth in and not expect great things from, whether it's press man, off man, bail technique, cloud, when you're going cover three and you want to jam. Uh, quarters, you name it. He has the looseness in his hips. He's got the size. He's got the physicality. He's got the instincts and, and the eye discipline. You know, he's he's got good ball production with the opportunities that he's been afforded in coverage. He converts some really impressive plays on the ball and, and generates turnovers. Uh, the one question with him, I suppose, and it, it it's a question for Derek Stingley too at this point, is Andrew Booth, Joe, you you like to point to the talking point if he had just over 400 snaps in coverage before 2021. But we got through our snaps summer scouting general. at the Draft Network. Yeah. yeah. We, we got through our, our summer scouting at the Draft Network, and you were head over heels for this guy. You were in love with Andrew Booth, and all he did this year was reaffirm your original opinion that he's an absolute stud. Yeah, no question. That was that was the question. Is all right, four hundred snaps. You were phenomenal. You, you put you pushed old Darian Kendrick to the bench. Dominant tape, and then all right, what did Made you look like as? Right, <laughs> sent him right out of town. Um, what were you going to look like as the the number one corner for Clemson? And I, I think we saw exactly what that looks like. He played at an extremely high level and. You talked about how good he is in coverage and the ball skills. And I mean, this guy is a tackler and a run defender and a click and close guy. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, he is enthusiastic about all of those things. And he's just, to me, it's the competitive demeanor that he plays with. He's an alpha. He doesn't want to give up an inch. And you can just feel that when you watch him play. And so, you know, I, I just, the, the questions are, are becoming answered, but now he's got some injuries, right? He's got like the core muscle thing that he's dealing with. 
And if I'm not mistaken, a quad injury, a couple of things that we may not get athletic testing when it comes to Andrew Booth, to which I would say, if you watch him play, there's not really any questions to be had about the way this guy moves. He's extremely springy and loose and has great speed. So I don't, I would love to get testing on every single player, but I'm not going to panic here because I'm really comfortable with the play speed that he illustrated on tape at Clemson. So why do you, why do you think we are collectively higher than I don't want to say everybody else, but a lot of other outlets as it pertains to Andrew Booth. Because, I mean, we, we I mean, have that, Andrew Booth as a top 10 prospect in this class. Yeah. And I think his tape warrants that. But you look across the space to a lot of our colleagues that work for different outlets or who aren't a part of our process and have their own processes and they have their own contacts and their own people that they talk to. And Andrew Booth is at back half of the first round and in some, some mock drafts falling out of the first round altogether. Yeah, that would never happen in my first round. I can tell you that. Um, yeah, I, I've been asking myself that question for a while now. Um, maybe it's because, I, dude, I don't know. I can't. I can't manufacture it. I really can't. Um, Clemson corners. I mean, AJ Terrell's been a f- really phenomenal for the Atlanta Falcons, but there has been kind of a long list of Clemson corners that haven't really panned out at the next level. But I mean, that's lazy helmet scouting that I, I think is poor practice. So I, I can't put my finger on the answer to that question, but I think Andrew Booth is one of the best players in this class. Which brings us to Derek Stingley, who, based on 2019 tape, it's pretty clear to me that there's <laughs> that, that was the best corner tape of anyone in this class. And he did it in the SEC West, the toughest division in the toughest conference of college football. They played a gauntlet of, of competition and in his true freshman season, Derek Stingley was one of the most dominant corners we've ever seen. Now, the problem is that the next two seasons weren't anything like it. And, you know, whether it was Stingley's own injuries or a completely new coaching staff after 2019, a completely new supporting cast in terms of the safety play and the linebacker play and the slot corner play, all of that was different after 2019, which didn't necessarily provide the best stage for Stingley to really continue building off of 2019. And that makes it tough, right? Because we haven't seen this guy play his best in two years, but when we did see him at his best, his best was better than anything else in this class. I was wondering how much you were going to dress this up because obviously the, you're not wrong. 2019 Derek Stingley is the best tape of any corner in this year's class. But the problem is that it was in 2019. And there's been injuries in each of the past two years. There's a foot injury this past year uh, and feet with those perimeter athletes can be a little scary, right? Because it's that's not an easy heal. It's not an easy uh, thing to avoid re-injuring unless you you do the due diligence and you take your take your time in healing. So we're we're glad that Derek Stingley took the time away to hopefully get that in a good spot. But you know, we we've seen some perimeter athletes at the NFL level who like once you start having those, they kind of keep bouncing back. You keep having problems with it. So that that for me is what I'm most afraid of with Derek Stingley is that he ends up falling into that bucket of of one of those guys who is just always going to have to fight stuff like that. Um, 
But yeah, the, the, there's no question the talent. And what he's what separates him from both those other guys too is just how dense he is. Right? We saw him in Indianapolis, and like he slapped together a little different than those other two corners as far as just how thick he is. And that gives you good appreciation for A, how rare of an athlete he is for how good he moves at that stature, but then also uh, how physical he is capable of being and playing as a tone setter on the outside where you got to have that physicality. So Kyle, earlier in our discussion today, I said that my number one player in this draft class was Michigan State or excuse me, Michigan edge rusher Aiden Hutchinson. Put down your pitchforks, Wolverines fans. Michigan. Kyle Krabs. His player one. His player one is Notre Dame's safety, Kyle Hamilton. And so let's talk about Kyle Hamilton, and let's Let's. talk about positional value. Kyle, your player one is Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, so I would go as far as to say, and I know this is this is takey, and we we don't pride ourselves on being one of those hot take express type programs, but we've been scouting the draft since Joe. We've been scouting the draft together since 2014, 14. 2014, 2015. Um, so it's been a minute. Kyle Hamilton might be the best player prospect I have graded in that stretch. What makes this challenging is, as you mentioned, there's positional value that needs to be weighed here, but there's also a larger conversation about the trends of the league and the way things are going and how we kind of need to reassess positional value because it's, it's not what it once was. But let's start with Kyle Hamilton first. This is a player who, from an instinctual standpoint, he's not going to wow you in the high post. If you're going to draft him to play single high free safety and just be a center fielder and play a lot of cover one, you're going to get nowhere near the best version of this player that you could tap into. But he's capable of playing man-to-man coverage against tight ends. He can play split safety coverages uh, and stay leveraged over top of half the field. And I would be comfortable playing him uh, in half field in cover six as well, where you've got more grass to cover. Um, I'm comfortable with him playing on the second level as a linebacker. I'm comfortable with him being in the nickel. I'm comfortable in with him in man. I'm comfortable with him in zone. I'm comfortable with him as a pressure player, walked up on line of scrimmage. This is a player who whose value is in a more you can do league. You can get into any personnel grouping that you would like, and you don't have to take him off the field. And for opposing coaches, who are taking inventory on every play, we're going to send in our 12 personnel grouping. Okay, numbers X, Y, and Z are running off the field, and A, B, and C are running onto the field. Hamilton's always going to be out there, and he can do so many different things at a high level, whether he is aligned in split safety coverages and you're giving a too high look to prompt running the football, and then you hand the ball off and the running back's going to look up out of his read, and Hamilton comes from 13 yards of depth and he's smacking you in the face for a two-yard game. That kind of electric click and close and ability to fill in the run game and be a good tackler at 220 pounds, 
the league is is seeing so much more of the two high safeties to try to ex- prevent explosive plays for offenses like what Kansas City used to be when they still had Tyreek Hill. And we'll see what they become this year with what kinds of wide receivers they ultimately bring in because you have to think they're going to bring more in. But the Buffalo Bills, uh, another high high-powered, potent offense that you can't blitz these guys. You cannot blitz these quarterbacks who are big and strong and fluid and mobile but have the arm strength to access the entire field. So what do you do? You try and flood throwing windows and play as many players back in deeper portions of coverage that you can. And that's why you see the two high-safety looks that are so popular. And for Kyle Hamilton, who I think is going to thrive in two high-safety looks, to also be able to give you run integrity to get down into the box and prevent explosive plays because teams are going to get up the line of scrimmage. They see you're in too high and they say, okay, we're going to run the ball. We have a numbers advantage in the box. He can be out of the box and be in the box before you look up and realize he's in the box. Mm. And that's the value for Kyle Hamilton in my eyes. Well, I hope everyone heard that because it still feels like anytime we mock Kyle Hamilton in a mock draft – that fan base says, we're not picking a safety at fill-in-the-blank pick. Blank. Yeah. And, and, Two, and I think you did a really good job five, of, of it. Just, right. They don't want it. They don't want it. But you just articulated exactly why they should and how not only is he a great player, but his presence changes the way you could play defense against the best offenses in the league. How do you not want that? And so – You should. What's interesting – you should. You should. What's interesting, though, is every year the safeties fall. They fall every friggin' year. Der- Derwin James went to 17, Kyle. So it seems so plain to me how this guy can help you and what he brings and why he should go in the top 10. But I think right now, even you, is is Kyle Hamilton's biggest fan out there, I don't know that you would bet on him being a top 10 pick. No. I mean, we we just recently did a mock draft exercise here on Draft Dudes, and he didn't go in the top 10. And that's that's um that's predictively that that's where we have to silo our own opinions of the players and our own assessments of the players, because we we evaluate, but we're evaluating for all 32 teams. So we're effectively doing risk assessment as compared to we're scouting for this scheme. So either you fit or you don't because you have the ability to do A, B, or C for us. Um, but then there's also the prognostication of what's actually going to happen on draft night, which is a totally different conversation whatsoever. And from that perspective, yes, I think the, the one year the safety didn't fall was the guy who had the lowest ceiling in coverage of all of these top end safeties in Jamal Adams. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know, I think I see a little steam pouring out of Chris's ears from back in there in the producer studio at the mention of the name. I know he's very fond of him now because he got a couple of first round picks from the Seahawks for him. But, um, and, and that's only uh, contributed to the New York Jets fans and their ire for being mocked Kyle Hamilton in any scenario with a top 10 pick. Right. As if those two players are the same. But I'm here to tell you that they're not. Um, because Kyle can do a lot more in coverage for you. But we alluded to, and I think this is an appropriate time to, to go here, kind of positional value. And that's that's what's motivating the projection for Kyle Hamilton to not be a top 10 pick. But Joe, 
as we assess the trends in the league and the direction in which things are going, are there two positions, one on each side of the ball, that you are seeing the market and the dollar amount that teams are willing to spend accelerate faster than tight ends and safeties? Mm. Maybe interior offensive line has a case, as you've seen guys like Joe Tooney, like in Tomlinson. You know, those guys have gotten some pretty big money recently, and we saw the New York Jets trade up last year and give up a couple of day two picks. That way they can get Elijah Vera Tucker to be a left guard for their football team. And so I think you're exactly right. And, And certainly I think tight end and safety are ahead of interior offensive line where we've seen you know, the Kittles and the Dallas Godards of the world, the Mark Andrews of the world at tight end. I mean, those guys got big-time contracts, and that's safety. Guys like Buda Baker and Justin Simmons, you know, those guys really made noise with their new contracts and reset those markets. So I think that they have paced ahead of interior offensive line, but I think interior offensive line might be nipping at the heels a little bit with how that is uh, changing uh, as well in terms of that market resetting, and you're seeing guys – Signed some pretty monster deals. I mean, Brandon Scherf as well this offseason just signed a big deal at guard. So so let me read let me read through this for you. Uh there was once upon a time in which Adrian Amos's four-year $36 million deal was the highest APY in the NFL for mm. any safety. And that was in 2019 when that deal was signed. Wow. Kevin Byard in 2019 also got a deal. And that was for five years, $70.5 million. That's an average of 14.1. Again, that deal was signed in 2019. There have been five contracts signed since 2019 that have bested that 14.1. And they went to Eddie Jackson, Buda Baker, Justin Simmons, Harrison Smith, and Jamal Adams all within the last 18 months. The high watermark now is Jamal Adams' $17.5 million that the Seahawks paid because they traded multiple first-round picks as part of their vision to bring Jamal Adams into the fray. So in two years, you went, let's call it three years. In three years, you went from nine to (laughs) 17.5. As wow. the high water mark on an annual per year basis, do you know how far down the list you have to go to find Adrian Amos on a per year average now? Oh, a lot of guys got like 10 and 12. So I'm guessing he's probably in the 15 to 20 range. 16th. Mm. So from 2019 to today, 15 contracts have bested that high watermark for APY at the safety position. You want to talk about rapid acceleration of spending at that position. So, and here's the point. You might be listening to this and you say, oh, this is cool. These guys are talking about the salary cap and numbers. Like, what's the point? The point is this. If you're going to start spending this kind of dollar amount, and oh, by the way, there was a 20-something million dollar cap regression last year because of the pandemic. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's since expanded, but the cap shrunk, went from like 199 to 178 and a half. You still got market reset deals. 
if teams are going to start spending this kind of dollar amount for established NFL players, shouldn't it make more sense to start to prioritize these prospects in the draft a little bit higher because the opportunity cost is getting these guys on rookie contracts as compared to paying 14, 15, eventually 16. With some of the guys who are on short-term deals now that are due extensions, you're going to get up over 17, 17 and a half. So if that's the dollar amount that you're now spending for premium established NFL talent, start drafting these guys early because you have the personnel appeal to be able to stay on the field all the time. And now the economic benefits of drafting these guys early are going to start to catch up to. Pretty compelling case there, Kyle. Pretty compelling case there. So what if we were to extend this conversation about safeties beyond Kyle Hamilton? Who are those guys that you think have a chance to crack this first-round conversation? Lewis signed from Georgia is a big-time name that I've fallen in love with in this process. And it's funny, right, because Georgia was so loaded. Where you, you literally sit here, and it took you forever to get through all the Georgia prospects. And we kind of ended up just by accident working our way with the front seven and working our way back. And then you finally get the Lewis sign. It's like, wait a minute, this dude can ball like this too. This is insane. (laughs) And he's running the alley and he's hitting guys. And the role that he played in Georgia reminded me of a blend of what Javon Holland did for the Oregon Ducks between his freshman season and his sophomore season before he sat out in 2020. As far as being a high post guy, being down on the second level, being in the slot, he lined up everywhere, and he's a more explosive athlete than Javon Holland is. I don't know that he has the rare instincts that that Holland showcased he has in the NFL, but Lewis Sign is the one name for me, and I like Jaquan Brisker, right? I like Daxton Hill, but Lewis Sign is the one name for me as I look at his resume and I start projecting him forward. I'm absolutely head over heels for the versatility and the explosiveness that he brings to the table. So, Joe, we kind of glossed over a lot here today. We talked to the defensive side of the ball with pass rushers and the secondary. And I think what's really interesting is we talked about the two premium positions on the defensive side of the ball and corners and pass rushers. And then we also kind of had this big manifesto of the safety position and why it needs to be valued more. So I know you, you definitely alluded to some good points, but I'd like to ask you if I made my case strong enough. And if I did, if you'd like to reconsider who your number one overall player is. (laughs) Oh man. Um, No, I, I am not going to put Kyle Hamilton as my number one player. He's my number three player. And, that does not mean Why do does not Kyle mean anybody Hamilton can so come at me. See, that was what I was trying to say. Do not give me that question because I love Kyle Hamilton. He's a top three player in this class for me. But um, my affinity for defensive ends, the technical prowess, the demeanor with Aiden Hutchinson keeps him atop of my draft board. But I am going to love whatever team picks Kyle Hamilton for all the reasons that you articulated as to how he can change the way your team plays defense in this modern era of NFL football. If you're in a division like the AFC North and you're facing teams that want to run the football, get yourself Kyle Hamilton. If you're in the AFC West and there's all these high profile passing attacks, get yourself Kyle Hamilton because no matter what he 
reduces the opposition's ability to dictate matchups and put you in a bad spot with your personnel groupings based on what you have to put on the field to match up with what that whatever that offense is challenging you with. So, Joe, real quick, to bring this whole conversation full circle, how many pass rushers get drafted before Kyle Hamilton in April? Ooh. Four. Four? So you, you're Four. in on the Hamilton outside the top ten. It's it's predictively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, predictively. That's a shame. And 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 I don't know that I would would disagree. But a fun way to bring this conversation full circle as we bring to a close yet another episode of Draft Dudes. We really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. You know, we're in this build up to the NFL draft, and I guarantee you we're going to have more big picture, 30,000 foot views, and we're also going to get into the weeds with some more of these position groups with deep dives like you guys experienced today, not just in the first round either. So we look forward to talking to you guys again next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.